Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Once again, 1 Samuel chapter 24 tonight. The reason we have you to reach for your Bible and not a self-help book or a New York Times bestseller is because we here at Riverside choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura. It's a Latin phrase. That means it means scripture and the scripture alone. Will you believe that the Bible is the highest authority? You might have walked and lived however you wanted to, but we here believe that the Bible is our final authority. It calls a strike. It calls a foul. It tells us how to live. We also believe in sola fide, a Latin phrase. That means faith and faith alone. We believe and have confidence and trust in something. Did you know you have faith right now? You have faith in the person who designed the pew that you're sitting in? You have faith in that pew because otherwise you would be standing up. You would not trust the pew. You would be standing up. You trust whoever created and designed this building that the rafters in the right place. You have faith in the person who's driving the car coming in the other lane that they won't go over that yellow line and hit you head on. Otherwise you wouldn't drive. We all have faith. We have faith in something or someone but here at Riverside we have faith in someone and that's Sola Christus, a Latin phrase that means Christ and Christ alone. We have faith in Jesus alone. Just Jesus. We don't add anything to Jesus. You add anything to Jesus, it messes up everything. If you say Jesus plus tithing, that don't work. If you add Jesus plus baptism, that, that don't work. If you add Jesus plus church attendance, that's what gets me to heaven. No, that don't work. Jesus and Jesus alone. We also believe in sola gracia. You got to roll it when you say gracia. It means grace and grace alone. That we are saved simply, absolutely, and only by grace. We have not merited. We have not earned it. It's not because we are good people. It's not because we're black or white or American or Mexican called Puerto Rican, all the cans. Who cares? It's not because we're a certain type of person. It's only because of grace that we're saved. Amen. Somebody say grace. 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 Also, the Put them all together and then finally put a big bow on top like a big old Christmas present. Sola Deo Gloria is for God's glory and His glory alone. These five solas all bring to the forefront the top jewel of it all is Sola Deo Gloria. That means for God's glory and His glory alone. The preaching tonight is for God's glory. Your church attendance tonight is for God's glory. You opening your Bible following along is for God's glory. You getting up tomorrow to go to work is for God's glory. Your whatever you do is for God's glory and his glory alone. Whenever that takes place, that's less of you. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about him. Amen. Somebody, if you would open up, like I said, to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now I know I've been doing this a little bit in a little while and some of my Hope House guys, you're in phase two. I know you've been working and I'll get you good. I'll have you good for about 30 minutes and then I see you get the Holy Ghost and you start, your eyes start rolling around. I understand because you get up at 4 a.m. Not a lot of of people know that. You get up at 4 a.m. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if that happens and you feel the, the sleeping slumber coming across you, you're able to stand up right where you're leaning against the wall. You can come in these rooms and stand because what I'm saying tonight is very important and you need to be alert 
Think about when you were in grade school, those who actually didn't skip and went. Remember that the teacher will make you stand up beside your desk so you can pay attention. And I, I want to help you tonight. So help you pay attention. If you are, if you're hearing your neighbor praying, but they snoring, go ahead and pinch them and tell them to stand up against the wall. Okay. So let's go ahead and open up to first Samuel chapter 24 tonight as we here at Riverside do expository preaching. Expository preaching means we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and if you've been with us any time, you know that this is not boring. It's not like a mechanics book where we break down an F-150 engine and break it down piece by piece, but this actually is relevant. It makes sense, and we believe this is the only way to hear preaching and study the Bible, because you know what will happen next week is I'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and you'll know what I'll preach next week. Oh, in the next week I'll be in 26, and I ain't good at math, but I know 26, then there's 27, so you'll know where I'll be and we'll continue to study the Bible in such a way, and this will help you in your personal Bible study, alright? So we open it to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you remember, Saul is pursuing David. David is the young man who slayed Goliath, and at this point, he's on the run from Saul. God has decided to snatch the kingdom from Saul because Saul had not honored God. But now he has anointed this young man who is a man after God's own heart. Tonight, we're going to look a little bit at uh, repentance because repentance screams from every chapter and every verse of the Bible. Repentance is it's designed a little bit like this. The, the, the entering into the kingdom of heaven is kind of explained a little bit like this. Imagine a little boy, he gets his arm stuck in a vase. It's a very expensive vase, and his mama and his papa are all worried. All right, let's put soap and throw some butter on it. Let's work his arm out of the vase. This vase is very expensive. It's priceless, and they don't want to do anything to damage their beautiful child or the vase. So at the final moments after they've tried everything, they called the fire department, the jaws of life are there. They're, they even contemplated cutting his arm out because, hey, that vase is very expensive. But they decide, well, we're going to have to break the vase. They all look around and they think about how expensive that vase is. But they think, think about how precious the child is. As the firemen look around and the parents, they finally come to the conclusion, yeah, let's break the vase. Then the little boy pipes in and says, will it help if I let go of the penny that I'm holding on to inside the vase? <laughs> what does that mean? That means that a lot of times we hold on to stuff that's holding us down. Oh, okay. It's mighty quiet. We ain't supposed to get that quiet that early. That a lot of times we're holding on to stuff that's actually dragging us to destruction. We're, we're holding on to things that are going to ruin us. This is where repentance comes in. Repentance is when you let it go. You say, God, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm not going to hold on to that any longer. This is the story of First Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following, following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Ejelida. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men of all of Israel to seek out David and his men from the wild goat's rocks. The first two verses here as we unpack them together. Saul at this point has been fighting the Philistines and now he turns his attention to his nemesis, his arch enemy. Not that David has ever done anything to Saul. If you've not been with for the last couple of weeks. We have looked at the life of David. God had called David and anointed David through this prophet Samuel to be the next king. Now Saul heard about this and now Saul has grown jealous. He has turned green-eyed with envy and at one point tried to kill him and throw a spear at him and pierce him through to a wall. And David escapes. Finally, Saul sends some ninjas to come after, come after David and kill him. But they do not are not successful as he 
escapes from his home. He actually runs and flees to Samuel, who is the prophet in this story. And when he goes there, Saul sends more assassins to go kill David. And when they show up, they find them having church. They're having church. You know, good old-fashioned church where her hair's done did and they don't care and the mascara's running and everybody's clapping. You know that kind of church? Kind of like Riverside. They just having church. So when the army comes up, the ones who were coming to kill David, they start having church. The Holy Spirit over empowers them and they find their, fa- they find their faces in the dirt. Then Saul hears about this and he says, well, I'll go myself. I'll handle my own business. And he shows up and the Holy Spirit moves across him and he finds his face in the dirt as well. Then David runs and he goes and finds himself in the wilderness of Israel. And finally the destitute and any man who was in debt or who hated the, 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 the leadership and the royalty of Saul all came around David at this point. And now he is a leader of about 600 men. And now Saul is hunting down not only David but all these men. So we see here in chapter 24 that he has handpicked 3,000 chosen men. That they are fighters. They're ready to rumble. And they're coming for David. Now we must understand that the, 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 the odds that are against David. David's got about 600 men and Saul's got about 3,000. I don't know, y'all. It don't look like they're good odds here. But then, then again, David... David is in the majority because God is on his side. Amen, Amen, somebody. You might be against the wall. The odds might be against you, but if God is on your side, it don't matter. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. The story unfolds like this, that they're in the, in the, the wilderness. This wilderness is so, so rugged and so tough that if David were to ride for four hours, he'd probably go about six miles. It was very hilly. It was very crevice. There was mountain, mountain ridges and there was also valleys. There were also caves and sepulchers all around. These are catacombs all around that where people will be buried. They would go simply here to the place in uh, an exiled area. There was no, there was no water. There was no, no place of substance. Yes, there might have been a wild bush here and there. But the only thing that inhabited the land were the wild goats. That's why we see the wild goats rock in verse number 2. That the wild goats who had impeccable balance would actually stand on the side of a mountain. I don't know if you've ever seen the images on the internet or in real life where wild goats can just stand on the side of a mountain. I don't know if they got a death wish or they just don't care. But they are perfectly fine with their footing on the side of these mountains. And we see here from the text that that is the only inhabitants here that David and his crew are going to through. I want you to imagine David being the leader of this group of men and he's got to hear complaints. Oh, I'm hungry. Why we got to be out here? Well, where are we going, David? Do you even, is your GPS even working? Where are we going? Do you, are we supposed to meet them here? What is going on? Can you imagine all the troubles that David has had as he's going and he's riding through this, uh, this desolate land? David was putting up with a lot here. I want you to imagine what David is facing. He's being hunted by his former master and David ain't even done nothing wrong. It's one thing to be in trouble for what you done did. It's another thing to be in trouble for something you ain't even done. Can you imagine David running from his former master who's put a hit out on him and now David is going through this horrible territory, this place where the, the, range, the, the, the range is rugged and anything that, that's hindering him is actually hindering him. But we can actually learn from this part of the text that, that, that David is going through the hard part of the, of the trial. But later on, I want you to know this, that later on David in the end becomes king. 
And he will have a son named Solomon. Now you might have heard of Solomon. Solomon is one of the wisest men who ever lived. But we will focus on him as we get closer into 2 Samuel. But something Solomon did in the area that David is now traveling through, he actually cultivates that land. Even though it's wilderness now as David goes through it, as he goes through the hard part, as he's on his way to be God's chosen king, even though he's being pursued by his enemies, in the future, in the future generations, there will be a blessing there. We read in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, 1.14, My beloved to me is like a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Egad. This is the place that David is going through. In the future, it will be a smooth place. In the future, his son will come in and cultivate the land. Preacher, what are you talking about? I want you to understand this. Whatever you're facing now and whatever you're going through, it may be hard. The terrain may be impassable. It may be hard you just can't hardly make it but I want to let you know there's another generation that's coming after you what you're doing now will affect generations Amen. this this side hurt me I don't know what y'all doing over here what you're doing now will affect generations I know it's hard I know you can feel the enemy breathing down your neck things are chasing you down But what you're doing will affect generations. If David quit here and lay down in the middle of the road and had his enemies trample over him, there will be no Solomon. There will be no vineyards. There will not be a golden age. But God in His providence, God in His might, God in His mercy has kept David up to this point. And God is a generational God. Let me tell you what that means. That means he's good enough for you. He was good enough for your grandma and grandma and grandpa and all them. And he's good enough for your children. He was faithful to the last generation. He'll be faithful to you and even your children's children's children. So David here is doing the hard work. I don't know about you. Are you doing hard work? Are you, are you just smooth? Are you just, are you just sliding through? You oiled up like an Alabama lizard and you just sliding through. You ain't putting into work. You ain't doing nothing hard. But there's generations waiting on you for you to do the hard work. There's people hinged on what you'll do. You can lay down and die right here. Give up. What would that do to the future generations? What would that do to your children? What would that do to your grandchildren? What would that do to your nephews? What would that do to your neighbors? You're going to live. Let me remind you, you're going to live. You're going to make it. Maybe you ain't heard nobody say that. and Maybe you heard it in your head. You ain't going to make it. What you doing? Let me remind you, you're going to make it. Amen. You ain't just going to make it. You're going to bring your family with you. Your loved ones, they're going to make it because you've made it. Oh, is that a lot of weight on your shoulders? Is that, is that a little heavy? That's okay because Jesus has got the heavy end of the cross. Don't worry about it. He's carrying the burdens. Catch your cares upon Christ for He cares for you. So the story unfolds that David is doing the work. He's doing the hard stuff here. And then in verse 3, And he came to the shepherd folds, by the way, where there came was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. At this point, in verse, between verse 2 and 3, we understand now that David is hiding in the caves. The sheepfolds here are rock formations outside the caves that the wild goats and sheep would actually go lean against to block them from the wind. 
So these were natural formations outside of a cave. But when Saul rolls up with his 3,000 soldiers, he notices one of the caves. And by God's providence, because we don't believe that chance is just something that happens. Nothing just happens. So I want to go ahead and let you know that's, that's, that's a theology. See, people believe in good luck. They believe in karma. They believe in chance. That's not true. For God is in control of every little thing. There is not one molecule in all the universe that God does not control. Because if there was a rebellious, unruly molecule, then God is not God of all things. So He's in control even in this situation. So David is hiding here inside this cave. And Saul goes inside the cave. Now why is Saul going in? Well, if you read your text, he had to go to the bathroom. He had to go handle business, do paperwork, however you say it in your house. Jiggle the handle, whatever. So Saul goes inside and David is inside as well. Once David is inside, he's in the cave. He probably heard the hooves and he heard the 3,000 army coming up. It's, high. it's hard to hide 3,000 men coming up on a rough terrain. Rocks are falling, horses are neighing, swords are clanging, and they're inside the cave. But the thing about being inside of a dark cave is you're in the back and you can actually see outside the cave clearly much better than anybody else who comes in inside the cave because it takes a moment for your eyes to adjust. So David is in the back of the cave with his soldiers and there is the king. There is the king of Israel, Saul, walking in. Here's your chance, David. One of his soldiers whisper. There's the, there's the one that's causing all your problems, David. There he is. That's him. This is, this is like God put it in your hands, David. You got to get him. You got to take him out here and now. But did God call David to kill Saul? No. It might look like it. Some people say whenever, whenever uh, something lays in front of them, they say, well, this is God's answer to my prayer. I really get along with her. She's such a nice lady, but she's married to somebody else. Oh, this is the answer to all my troubles and problems. And somebody offers you an illegal job that's going to pay for all your bills. Sometimes you are tempted. Sometimes it looks like it's an answer to your prayers, but it's not. Because God didn't tell you to do that. We see here in verse number 2 that we know that, that, uh, that these goat rocks, we talked about that, and we see the sheepfolds. Now we're going to look at verse 4 and 5 here. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day in which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as, he, as you shall see seem good to you. See, I don't know if y'all know about earlier, Saul listened to some other people. He listened to somebody other than God. Y'all remember in the previous chapters where he heard some bad reports about David and Saul rolled into town, a town called Nod, and he kills all the priests there. He slaughters them because he heard a word. He was influenced by the people around him. Now David is being tested in such the same way. David is being tested by his his comrades, his buddies, his rider dies are there with him. And they're saying to him, here's your chance, David. Here's your chance. Now we'll see if David will pass the test. Now we'll see if David is influenced by the community or the one true God. For God has not told David to lay a finger on Saul. 
Many times David has prayed to God. We've read a lot of Psalms where David has cried out to God, asking God for direction, asking God what should he do. We even read in the previous chapter where they bring the ephod to him. When if those who don't know, an ephod was what they used in biblical times where they would ask a question to God and he would answer yes or no with a black or white rock. You might say, why don't we have that anymore? Well, we covered that last week when we spoke about the Bible is all we need now. We don't need Ouija boards. We don't need tarot cards. We don't need tea leaves. We don't need psychics and mediums. We have the Bible and it speaks about salvation, righteousness and grace. Amen. Amen. Somebody, I hope that's all cleared up. We don't need anything. We don't even need extra books of the Bible. We don't need the Book of Mormon. We don't need a Jehovah's Witness living translation. We don't need anything else. We don't even need, we don't need a, a person's opinion. Second opinion, chapter 3, verse 17. If it ain't in the Bible, don't worry about it. Here, we see where his friends are now chiming in. They didn't, he didn't even ask what they thought. Many times people will share with you their opinion. Just like their bad breath. Everybody's got bad breath, but you can keep it to yourself. They're whispering in David's ear, Hey, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is everything you wanted. Has anybody ever done that to you? This is all you've wanted right here. This is it. Jump on it. Grab it. Take advantage of this moment. In verse 4 we see. Now I want to make sure we understand in verse 3. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way. And Saul went in to relieve himself. In verse, verse number 3 still. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. In verse 4. And the men of David said to him. Here is the day in which the Lord has said to you. Behold I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as you shall see good to you. Then David arose. And stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. You must understand how close he had to get to Saul to do, to do this. For the scriptures is not explicit, but we're all grown folk here. David was getting close to Saul while Saul was having a bowel movement. He was relieving himself. David got close enough to slip off a corner of the majestic robe of the king of Israel. But the thing about David is he's got a conscience. That conscience will get you every time. Serial killers are, and psychopaths and sociopaths, uh, they're not really blessed. You can say they're blessed if their conscience is not alarming them and what they're doing is wicked. There's been a lot of times where we would say, I wish my conscience would just shut up. See, our conscience is like a, a pain receptor for our soul. For those who understand whenever you have a knee that's bothering you or a, a tooth or an earache or something that's bothering in your wrist or your ankle, you understand that those receptors are screaming at the top of their lungs. So you'll take something to dull the pain. You'll take something to help your body take time to heal because your body naturally says, hey, something's wrong. But our conscience does the same. When our conscience bothers us, it says, hey, something's wrong. Something's wrong between you and the Creator. Everything ain't right between you and the Creator. You need to take time to talk to the God of all creation. Things ain't right between you and God. How many times has your conscience screamed at you and yelled at you, but you ran another direction to put something down your throat to dull it? Come on. snorted something so your conscience would shut up. Pour something down your throat. And it's like putting a pillow over your conscience and say, shut up! Be quiet! Until finally your conscience is dull. 
Whoever you are, if your conscience has grown dull, I weep for you. For God has turned you over to your sins. You don't even feel bad about sin anymore. You freely do it. And you don't even feel the repercussions anymore. You're so broken that God has let you go and let you go at it. But those who still have a conscience, thanks be to God. Amen. For the Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 2, Verse 14 through 15, For when the Gentiles who do not know the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law was written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Uh, their conflicting thoughts accuse them and even excuse them. What that means is that God has written on every human being's heart the laws of God. That we instinctively know that it's wrong to lie. But yet we still do it. If you were to go find a remote tribe in Africa and go there, they've never been touched by society or culture. And they've been isolated. Always, when you go to those tribes, history has shown that they worship something. And initially, on their hearts, God has written on their hearts, even though they're pagan in their ways, in their conscience, they know it's wrong to covet their neighbor's wife. They know it's wrong to kill. We know it's wrong. But yet we still do it. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 24 verse 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience before both God and man. I ask you tonight, do you have a clear conscience before God and man? Are you having any alt against your neighbor? Do you have any problems? I ain't talking about personality conflicts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hate, anger, and bitterness that it will take root into your soul and bring forth thoughts and deadly fruit that will kill you because you're apostate. I'm asking, are you in right standing with God? Are you in clear communication with God? Are you serving other gods? Do you miss your old gods that you once served? Or do you serve the one true God now? And live for his desire. I know those old gods call back for you. Hey baby, come home. I miss you. Remember all the good times we had? Yeah, I remember all the good times we had. I was broke. I had needle marks on my arms. Things that were collapsed. When I would wake up in a pile of vomit with still more troubles and no money. I remember that. I remember what you told me. All those lies. All those old gods took from you and lied to you. The only thing Jesus takes from you is your guilt and your sins. Seems like an easy choice, don't you think? Amen. David, his conscience gets a hold of him in verse 5, and afterwards David's heart struck him. Thanks be to God that our hearts strike us. Because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Uh, David, David eventually, before he cut off the corner of his Master's robe, he had to persuade his men not to kill Saul because they're telling David, here's your chance. One of them would happily would have rose up to kill Saul for David, but he had to persuade him. In the original language, the word persuade means to crush down. He had to use all his authority and might to keep his people under wraps from attacking Saul at this point. So David can't win for losing. His conscience was holding him accountable. And the men now were upset that you let your problems walk out the door when God put him right before you. We see in verse 6, 
God said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed. I, I want you to understand that David is understanding God's position in his. David is understanding that that's God's anointed, God's chosen man to be king. That's God's person that put in charge over the nation. Listen, men that are following me and doing things with me, you've got to understand that I'm not in charge, that God is in charge. Ephesians 1, 19-23, listen closely. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the work of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under His feet and gave Him head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him who fills in all. You like say, what did you just say? That means Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the Lord, the Lord of hosts is above all things. And David wasn't going to overstep God. Amen. Now I understand that maybe uh, you have a, a personal opinion about who our president is, who the mayor is. Yesterday was election day for the lower, lower circuits and people voted. And people are they're, they're divisive about politics. They'll fight over their favorite candidate. But I don't want you to get all caught up in that. Because there's one name that's above every name. There's one King of kings and Lord of lords. Regardless of who's in the White House, the penthouse, the crack house, and the owl house. Jesus is above it all. We must understand. Understand who, who's in the position of power and who we are. David understood. I may be a general over all these men. But there's one above me. There's one above Saul. There's one that I have to answer to. And you do well to understand that as well. That there are those that are over you. There are shepherds of your souls. There are those who call you out on certain things. What you mean correcting me? What you mean telling me i got to do this? I'm grown. Famous last words. I do what I want. Come on. The book of Ephesians tells us, Paul writes, he tells us to honor those who have charge over our souls. In verse number 7, So David persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. Can you imagine the whispers at the back of the cave? No, we ain't doing this. I know it looks like you're saying, you're tempting me by almost saying that God has placed this right here on a silver platter for me. They're almost appealing to his, his loyalty to God and using that as a point to sin. We see in verse 8, Afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord and King. Notice he still addresses Saul as his Lord and King. He still acknowledged Saul as the one who reigns over the nation of Israel. He calls him Lord, no, lowercase l, Lord and King. You may not like who's in charge over you in your situation. You, you may not like who, who the sheriff is that pulls you over. Or you may not like your landlord. You may not like this situation in your boss. You may not like them. But 
God creates a hierarchy. He creates the order. He creates all that. And instead of giving them a hard time, criticizing them and tearing them down, why don't you do what Romans 13 says and pray for them? Mm, it was real quiet in here. Okay, I'll back it up. You're so cute. Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for you. No! Let's do what the Bible says. Otherwise, we tear that page out and don't do it. We don't get to pick and choose. It's not the buffet that go to corral. We just pick and choose what we want. We do what He commands to us. What He calls us to do. Are we not His? Did He not purchase us with the shedding of His blood? Do we not belong to Him? Do we not bow our heads and receive the oracles of God? Honoring Him, living for our lives to His glory. Amen, preacher. Amen. You preaching it. I know. I know. Some of y'all about to go to sleep. See, we reached that 30 minute, that 30 minute threshold. If you got to stand up, stand up. Do it. We see in verse 8, David arose and he called him, my Lord and my King. And Saul looked back behind him. David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. How many of you will pay homage to your enemies? Don't look at them. Don't even look at them. But can you imagine yourself getting on your hands and knees and kissing their boots? No way. There ain't no way. While I'm down there, I get a fistful of dirt and throw it in their eyes while I'm down there so I can get a, a, get a cheap shot is probably what you're thinking. I'm glad Jesus didn't think like that. Amen. When He was on the cross and He was dying for sinners like you and me, He looked down at His enemies and you know what He said? He didn't cuss them out. He prayed for them. Jesus prayed for those who hated Him and despised Him and were His enemies. Let's go a little further. In Romans 8, and while we were yet sinners, while we were yet His enemy, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for you to get sober. He didn't wait for you to quit cussing. He didn't, quit, he didn't wait for you to pull out all the liquor. He didn't wait for you to get off that porn. He didn't wait. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Amen. We look at it a little different now. David is just a prequel to the perfect shepherd that we will look forward to in Jesus. David bows down before his enemies, kissing their feet, paying homage to the one who has authority over them. We see here that Jesus will also, Jesus will also pay homage to the Father by laying himself down for people who ain't worth saving. Did you, did you hear what I said? Jesus will save people who ain't worth saving. I don't know why Christ saves us. Don't ask me. It ain't because we got good credit. It ain't because we got good jobs. It ain't because we're the smartest group in the bunch. It ain't, that ain't the reason. It ain't because we're Americans. It ain't because we got all our stuff together. He does it simply because He loves us. Amen. But notice He loved His enemies. Do you love yours? Nah, nah, preacher. Nah, I'm answering for you. I know what you're thinking. I feel you. I'm flesh and bones just like you are. But he calls me to this. And it's bigger than me. And I can't do it without him. David bowed. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 
44. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. So if you don't like it, don't take it up with me. I'm just the delivery boy. I only deliver the news. I don't write the news. I'm not the editor. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That takes away all the buts. But what, what if they don't? What, what if they racist? Well, what if they? What if they just mean? What if they want to kill? What if they want to put my family in the ground? What? If, what if they're out to get me? I didn't see no buts in there. What if they're Democrat? What if they're Republican? What if they're in the Klan? What if they're Black Lives Matter? What if they don't like policemen? What? What? What if they're foreigners? What if they're uh, uh, Asians? What, 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 if, what, what if they're Canadian? What, what if they're a preacher? What if they're a Christian? What if they're Muslim? What, what, what? Let me read it again see if it changed. Let's just check. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It didn't change. Keep looking at it until it changes. And before it changes you. Paul says again about enemies. And he says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Those who watch over you and correct you, they're supposed to do it with joy. How would they do it with joy if you're always complaining about when they call you on it? How are, you gonna, how are they going to enjoy what God has called them to do if you make it hard? I figure Rico would amen. And Keith, you will get it. I figure some of you community leaders amen. Some of our deacons would amen up in here. If they call you on it. Oh, man, what are you? Oh, you just throw a fit and you just get upset. They're called by God to do that. And you're blessed by God to have them do that. Amen. They keep watch over your souls. And they will have to give an account. Do you realize that? They would have to give an account. Saul, Paul told some of the churches that some of you are called to teach, but not everybody needs to do that. Because you'll be more accountable on that day. That when you preach and teach, that you will be held accountable for what you preach and teach and how you live and how you walk. Those who watch over you, who are protecting you and shepherding you, will be held accountable to God. So if they let you slide, they, they turn the other eye, you ain't no better off. Come on. And they're in more trouble before God. Thanks be to God for those who call us on our stuff. Yes. Amen. Who don't put sprinkles on our stuff and say, hey, it smells good, and it don't. <laughs> Thanks be to God for those who are in position in the place where God appointed them to be there, to be an overseer of our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for those. We see in verses 9 and 10 here. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord. Against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life and take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the ancients proverb said, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. 
David is saying, Saul, you're listening to men's words. And truly, if you want to know what I'm like, this is what I'm like. I could have took you out. If I really am the character that they have painted me out to be, then I would have already killed you. Sometimes people talk about us like we're bad. We're bad people. And we say, well, they think I'm bad anyway. Might as well be bad. They're not going to talk about me anyway. They they say, I do this and that. Might as well go ahead. Let it be self-fulfilling prophecy. Let me go and tell you this. There's never a reason to sin. Never a good reason. Ever, 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 ever a good reason to sin. Well, she did that to me. They said that about me. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. It says, always eye for an eye. Everybody be blind. And bald mouth. Walk around drinking milkshakes. Come on. Amen. Here we see that David is asking Saul not to listen to the men's words. Look at my character. Look at what I did. David is saying, I didn't listen to men. David is saying, I listened to God. See, back in the previous chapter, I don't know if you remember this, there's someone who came to David when he was down and out. He's being hunted like a dirty dog by Saul. All his men has been dispersed, but Jonathan, this is Saul's own son, who was supposed to be the heir who's supposed to be the prince of Israel, comes to David because they're friends. And the Bible tells us that when Jonathan and David got together, Jonathan encouraged David. He encouraged David in the Lord. He encouraged him and told him that God is in control. That God has got you right where He wants you. That He hasn't misplaced you. That He's not a butterfinger God that you just slipped through His fingers He hasn't forgotten about your situation. David is encouraged by Jonathan. And it's a good thing because David's going to need to be encouraged for this moment. If David wanted to be king, if David was tired of running, if he's tired for the long roads and the hard hard road and the off the road and going on the unbeaten path, if he's tired of the journey, he would have killed Saul right there. If he really wanted to be king more than he wanted to serve God, he would have killed Saul. Let me tell you that again. If he really wanted the crown more than he wanted to serve God, he would have killed Saul. Some of y'all want other things other than God. And if it's laying in front of you, you'll snatch it up real quick. But some of y'all rather have God. Let me be your Jonathan. And let me encourage you because there will be a cave moment. There will be a moment when everything you want is right there in front of you and the question is going to be asked which one you want more, God or this? David could have dishonored God and killed Saul. God never commanded David to kill Saul. Well, how do I know what God wants me to do? What's God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? Well, that's funny. You got everything God wants you to do right there in your hand. Your Bible. Everything. I want to hear God audibly. I want to hear it out loud. Read it out loud. I want to know what He wants me to do, how I'm supposed to live, who I'm supposed to marry, where I'm supposed to live, where I'm supposed to go to church, where I'm supposed to work. It's all in your hand. You've already got it. Let me be your Jonathan. Because you will have a cave moment. All your buddies and your friends will be there. Hey, this is what you, this is it right here. This is it. But God didn't tell you to do that. God didn't say do that. God didn't say quit. God didn't say walk out. God didn't say give up. 
God didn't say do this or do that. Did He speak to you through His Scriptures? Did He command you to do that? If He didn't, you keep the course. You keep trusting God. Even David here says to Saul, let God judge between me and you. Let God judge. What he's saying here is that I ain't going to defend me. You can say what you want about me. I'm going to let God defend me. Drag my name through the mud. Say what you want. Tear me down. I'll let God defend me. David, instead of listening to all his friends and his co-workers and his, his allies, he does what Psalms 25, 4 through 5 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me that you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Amen. I'm tired of waiting. Well, get out of the way then. Go on. Go do something else. Either serve God or don't. It's just that simple. Do your thing or do His. Yes. Psalms, 119, Psalms 139.10 Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Some of y'all need to write that down. In the dark caves when you're being tempted. Remember that verse. For David remembered when he was writing that verse, that moment when he's being tested. God in His providence and all His power didn't put that there for him to take advantage of it. He put it there as a test. David, which one you really want? Which one you, you want the crown? Let's see how bad you want the crown. You want to be king? You want to make it all about you? Here's your moment. Kill Saul. Even his friends said, let's kill him. David, I've been riding with you since the beginning. He's been chasing us down. If we kill him now, we ain't got to run no more. Things will be so much easier. Be so much easier if you just quit. So much easier if you just drank that or snort that. Be so much easier if you just go find her again. It'd be so much easier. It's so much easier if you just do this. Those aren't the answer to your prayers. Sometimes that's just God testing you. Which one do you want? Do you want to honor God? Do you want to serve Him above everything and anything else? Even there your hand shall lead me. God, you need to lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Lord, not only lead me, but hold me. Let, me. let me explain that. When my little boys were much younger, and it'd be dark outside, we walked to the mailbox, go to the car. I said, go to the car and get this for me. Daddy, I don't want to. It's dark out there. Will you go with me? I'll go with you. And as I walked with him, he was mighty brave because I was with him. He didn't just, I, God doesn't just send us to something. He holds us. <laughs> okay, nobody got that but me. He don't just send you to something. He don't pin a dollar to your collar and say, good luck. And drop you off at the bus stop. He's not an absentee father. He's not a mama that's always busy. It says here in the scriptures that even there your hand shall lead me. It's this way. And your right hand holds me. Come on. He leads me and he holds me. I feel so alone. It don't matter how you feel. It, it, we don't walk by how we feel. This says, this says even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Psalms 139.10 Tomorrow, you might wake up and you get a check in the mail. And you might be a millionaire. Check might already be written, might be in the mail. It didn't come from me, I'll let you know that. <laughs> but you might not feel like a millionaire. I don't feel like a millionaire. I don't feel no different. 
The check says you're a millionaire. It says here that you're not abandoned. You're not forgotten. You've not been turned over. You haven't been misplaced. You're not in a blind spot that He don't see. Psalms 139.10 says, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. It won't God's will that David killed Saul. James 1, 13-15, you might know this. Let no one say, for he is tempted. I'm being tempted by God, for God does not tempt anyone with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What that verse basically means is that when we wander from God, it's not because God has moved, it's us wandering. Like a John boat that's tied to the shoreline or a dock, it finds itself in the middle of the lake every time. The, the current or whatever, it simply drifts away. So once again, the other verse that we spoke about where God keeps His hands on me and leads me is irrelevant yet again because I am prone to drift from God. No one wakes up and reads their Bible naturally. No one naturally leans towards holiness and righteousness. We must have someone's hand on us to pull us to Him. So that's what David says when he writes the psalm, Lord, keep your hand on me. I'm prone to wander. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13-14 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He also will provide the way of escape. So you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If David wanted the crown more than pleasing God, Saul would be dead. But we look at verses 11 and 12 now. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand, by the fact that I cut off your corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know that there is no wrong treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. He's saying here, you sinned against me, but I haven't sinned against you. Can you say that? Can you say that someone has sinned against you, but you didn't retaliate? Can you say that you were wrong, and you don't even keep record of it? That's what David says here. We see also in verse number 12, no, 13. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Here, David is saying an ancient proverb. You know, uh, the, uh, it is what it is. That's what we say. We say stuff like that all the time. We don't really think about it. Uh, but here, he's just saying something that Jesus says later in Matthew 7, 16 to 20. Here's what Jesus says. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. David is saying to Saul, You're bitter. You're angry and you're wicked and people know you by what you do. David is forgiving and merciful, non-combatant, recognizing that God is in the position over everything. 
And Saul is killing priests. Saul is hunting down David. You ever heard the phrase, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loud? Amen. There is a phrase that many people say in church. They'll say, you got to love the sinner and hate the sin. They say that. Y'all know that, right? But you know that's not in the Bible. Gandhi said that. I ask you, which one does God throw into hell? The sin or the sinner? You're a liar because you lie. And you lie because you're a liar. You're a thief because you're a thief at heart. That's who you are naturally. Down in your depths of who you are. You're an alcoholic because you're an alcoholic. You were born that way like Lady Gaga said. You were born that way. She's a theologian. They didn't know. Amen, somebody. Did you know that? I was born this way. I'm naturally in sin. Amen. So you know them by their fruit. If you're wicked, you do wicked stuff. If you're wicked, you do wicked. Don't get me wrong. You can, you can probably pull one out now and then. You can probably do something nice here and there. But your fruit, the things that you have done in your life is because of who you are to the core. I mean, I had one guy say, Osama Bin Laden, I mean, he did some mean stuff, but he's probably a nice guy. No, he won't. No. No. He's killing people. Jeffrey Dahmer, serial killer. Used to eat people. Used to eat people. Because he's a cannibal. Depraved and wicked. Charles Manson. Crazy. Got a Nazi symbol on his forehead. Still crazy today. Wicked. He might send you a birthday card. Something nice once in a while. But to the core, he's wicked. People are known by what they've done. Because that's what they are and who they are. That's what David is saying here. Saul, you're wicked, so you do wicked stuff. Man, preacher, you ain't very motivational. I'm just putting out the light, letting us see us as who we are. When I was a kid, we grew up with a lot of roaches. We was poor. But when we walked into the room, we cut the light on. Roaches were scary. They were running everywhere. But only when the light came on. That's why we cut on the light. We didn't want to walk into the room here and crunch, crunch, crunch. We cut the light on to see where we were walking because we didn't want to step on them barefoot. Come on, that's nasty. So when the light is in the room. It exposes us for who we are. We are what we do. We do what we are. So David says here that from wickedness comes wickedness. Out of the wicked becomes wickedness. And James 3.11 does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Y'all got to understand earlier Saul was very kind in his rulership. There were some people who didn't like Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And they wanted Saul out. And then Saul had a great victory. And they asked, where's those people at that were running their mouth about Saul? And Saul showed mercy. He showed mercy to those that were his enemies. And they let him live. But Saul changed over time. He started out so well. Saul did so good. He started out well. But it ain't how you start. It is never how you start. They don't give out trophies by how starting out very good. That's how you finish. Here we see where Saul will respond now. David told him, hey man, you coming after me, I'm just a flea. You got 3,000 men coming after me in verse 4. In verse 14 he says, whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? He didn't say fleas, he said a flea. How insignificant is a flea? May the Lord judge, therefore, and give sentence between me and you. In 
verse 16. As David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. You might even say Saul's heart changed here. He's, he's crying. He's got tears in his eyes. But let me go and tell you, they're temporary tears. Did you know uh, a lot of times I sit with guys and, or in, in, in different family members. I sit with church people. I sit with all kinds of people and they weep and they cry. And I think, well, maybe God's really working on them. But there's, sometimes it's just temporary. Sometimes they don't change. It's only an outward grievance. It's only an outward tears. Temporary tears is what I'm calling them. Hosea chapter 6 verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Much like the dew on the ground. When the sun comes out, it's dried up as gone. People feel bad about their sins when they're in church, when they hear the preacher railing away from the pulpit. They feel bad about their sins, but not bad enough to stop sinning. That's repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I feel bad about what I've done. I feel bad about what i said, but not bad enough to change. Not bad enough to repent to God. Here we see that Saul is a false convert. I wonder if you're a false convert. Do you feel bad about your sins before God? Do you feel bad that, oh, I've done this and I've done that. My rap sheet in heaven as long as my arm. I've done wicked things and I continue to do wicked things. And you'll have tears here, but they'll be dry by the time I say amen and we dismiss. And you leave your conscience back in the dust once again and go off sinning, living however you want before a holy God. Temporary tears. I just want to remind you, you're going to have your cave moments. You're going to be like David. You're going to jump on that moment. Take advantage of it. Fall into temptation when God did not tell you to do that. You might even be like Saul, having temporary tears. Not even honoring God with your life. But I want to just remind you in the last few minutes here as we finish up tonight. David was in the cave with Saul. David could have killed Saul. Saul deserved to be killed. He'd done some wicked stuff. But every day of your life, church goer, church member, church attender, every day of your life, you're in caves, you're in the parking lot, you're in your houses, you're in the car, always before the son of David. That's a nickname for Jesus. You're before him exposed all the time. And you deserve to be put down for the wicked things you've done. But yet David, the son of David, Jesus doesn't put you down. He doesn't slaughter you right where you stand when you're exposed and you're weak. For the very God who created everything and hung the earth upon nothing has no troubles by flicking His wrist, causing you to die right where you sit or stand. Every day you are exposed before this God. And yet He tarries every day. He lets you draw another breath. He's not hoping that in the next breath you would repent. He already knows if you will or you won't. Yet in His mercy and His grace lets you draw breath. Amen. 
That should humble us greatly. What we've learned in the story today is that you will have your cave moments. You're going to decide, will you buckle and do something that God has not called you to do? What we learned tonight is there are such things as fake tears. Even Judas, after he found out he betrayed Jesus, went back to the Pharisees and wept and cried because of what he did. But he did not repent. Here we see Saul crying and weeping before David because of all the wicked things he did. He didn't even cry when he went through the city of Nod and killed all those prophets. Here in this moment he weeps. Maybe you feel bad about your sin tonight, but I do pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you in such a way that you repent. And we'll explain what repentance is as it's 801. And I will say this last thing. Imagine coming home from a long day of work. You've got your coat in your hand. Briefcase, groceries. You've got all kinds of things in your arms. You fiddle with your keys and you come into your house and you're standing there and you look across the foyer of your home. Standing there in your living room is a long lost loved one. Someone you haven't seen in ages. Someone you find very dear. Someone you deeply love standing in your living room. Do you say, hold on, let me put the Briar's ice cream away. I don't want it to melt. Let me put the bologna away. I don't want to smash the bread. Let me hang up my dry clean. Let me put my briefcase in the back. Let me, I'll be right back. No, we don't know. If you dear, dearly love them, they sling from your arms. And you embrace them right in the center of your living room. Tears, snot bubbles, and everything. Amen. What does that got to do with repentance? Right now, your arms are filled with all kinds of wicked sins. Wicked, wicked sins. Stuff you even enjoy. Stuff you like. Your arms are filled with those things. Anger, unforgettable addiction, idol worship, blasphemy, bitterness. Your arms are filled. And Jesus is here. Jesus is here in this holy moment. Amen. Sling those things from your arms. God, I don't want these anymore. I don't, I'm not carrying this anymore. This keeps me from you. It's pulling me down to hell like lead bars. And I will find myself at the lake of fire forever going down into the depths of your anger and wrath. I throw them from me. I don't want them anymore. And I'll never pick them up again. I leave them here. And I embrace you, Jesus. Whoever you are, no matter what you've done, come to Jesus for He forgives sinners. I don't care how much sin you've committed. He has more grace. I don't care how far you've ran. He can outrun you, snatch you, and save you. Amen. Jesus forgives sinners because that's all there is. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, thank You tonight as we get to gather here amongst Your people and speak of Your grace and Your mercy.